I'm a Yahweh. The opportunity to be a conduit for your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, the words that anyone can hear, but that they would listen, be convicted in their hearts to turn about, turn around, repent, and come to you, Father God. Thank you for the opportunity. So there's um, a couple things I'm going to share, and, and one thing I want to uh, share that I, would, I had heard the other day and actually didn't think about it, really. I've seen them myself, and as many do with the Scripture, they sort of breeze over, and then they just go on their way. And I'm sharing that because I, I don't know if anyone out there, um, you don't see them much during any other time of the year, but um, the giant pumpkins. I mean, these things, some of them are enormous, and now they've gotten so involved in Halloween and the things that go on that they have pumpkin-growing contests. And they've got some of those pumpkins get really, really large and there might be the folks that wonder what good are they well I'll tell you if you take that pumpkin and you just don't bruise it and you take it and you put it in the barns and farmers many many decades ago on some that still do in wintertime when things were very hard to get to and you didn't have hay and hay was really expensive and you had to buy it <laughs> and uh, for those that had any and of course they were going to make a profit off of it and unfortunately they would sting their neighbors but these giant pumpkins they found that the cattle really liked them so, and, and the horses would eat them so what they would do is they'd take these giant pumpkins out on the wagons and they would smash them in the pastures and the animals would have food. It was very good nourishment. But how did those pumpkins get so big? Well, they were attached to the vine. They stayed and remained attached to the vine. Why do I bring that up? And what does that got to do with anything that you normally talk about? Well, what does the Bible tell us about the vine? What does the word tell us about being and staying attached to the vine? And Jesus is the root. We stay attached and we grow. We grow by the word, we grow by his nourishment and we're watered by that everlasting water that is provided. Stay attached, grow in the word, be that that God created. And don't let these choices and these mind-changing things which is exactly what Satan wants to happen. He wants you to be altered and changed and perverted and twisted. 
I made a statement the other day, a couple casts ago, and I know it got some people, got their knickers all twisted up, but here's the deal. Because I deal in this thing called truth, I don't apologize for the truth, and I won't apologize for speaking the truth, and I won't tell you how grievous and well it it actually makes me angry and I pray about it because I can't I can't sin in my anger and the anger that I have is righteous anger where you have a group of people that will come in and blatantly declare that they're coming after our children and the things that go on. And if you notice the things that are taking place, they are doing that very thing. They are targeting our children. Parents are no longer allowed to parent. They're wresting away from parents the responsibility for their education and keeping them in school and knowing what's being taught to them. And these things are happening quite readily, rapidly. And when parents make an issue of wanting the school boards to be more transparent with what they're teaching, then you have the egregious acting elected officials that are coming in and making the parents the enemy. There's only one enemy, and that enemy is Satan. And then, of course, his minions that he likes to control. And be aware of this, that there are individuals that walk on our plane of existence and in our plane of existence that are under his control. And they are part of his minions. They think that their life's agenda is all about what they're doing and how they're controlling and doing things. So you look around and you want to blame elected officials. You want to blame individuals that have and hold certain offices. It's not them. And you have to understand this. And, and I learned a lot of things when I was taking political sciences is that the individuals that like to think that they're in control of whatever they're elected to do are not in control. They have someone higher than they are that are going to pull a string and lead one direction or another direction. And these individuals who like to think that they're really working and that they're in control are definitely not. And then, of course, you have the agenda, which is to turn everyone away from the direction that they need to be going. The agenda is very dark, brothers and sisters, is very dark. And Satan is trying to wrest your mind and your heart and take your soul away from God, our Heavenly Father our creator in the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't want you to be there. And he's really upset because, well, number one, he got kicked out of heaven for being uh, an arrogant, pompous 
individual. And then he came and he's trying to get everyone else to do the same thing and knows how manipulated we can be. Individuals like to think that, oh, they're strong-willed and they got this character and they got that character. They don't have anything. And then the more they have to brag about it, the more it tends for you not to buy what they're saying. And you have... <laughs> I laugh because there's one particular individual that just comes to mind quite readily. But at any rate, you have the individuals that want to remind you of everything that they've done and who they are and what they do. You know who I am? Yes, you're a foolish, arrogant, pompous, pharisaical person who is judgmental, condemning. So just be careful, those individuals. Pray and strength for this nation needs to be done. It just needs to be done. And the word of God tells us that if the nation will come together and raise their voice and cry unto him, he will forgive them and he will hear the cries and he will heal the nation. But here's the problem. You think, and then you get individuals who are out there, well, aren't we doing that? Aren't we doing it? No, you're not. You're whining and crying about the things that are going on, but... Are you talking to God about it? Are you praying about it? Um, one of the things that is really lacking, actually, are the collective groupings of churches. There are some that get together and collectively do this thing. There's a term that's being used. I've heard it thrown quite a bit. It's used quite a bit actually at our church and what I find an example of <laughs> I, I snicker again because we have a really good pastor a really good pastoral leader as I've shared with you he's, he and his wife are both doctorates but they're not arrogant about it they don't throw that around at all but it's real kind of fun to see the leadership grow and do what it does. But he uses a term, and I'll be quite honest with you, I don't agree with the terminology. Um, use the word having to do with the church of corporate. Corporate gathering, the corporate uh, the, the corporate grouping. And, and I understand what the, what the terminology is because I know what it corporation is so um, and I understand what's intended but the word for me corporate uh, when you talk about the body of church or trying to talk about the collective body coming together um, not just individuals in a prayer meeting and or small groups but to come corporately together that the whole body is unified well I have just kind of a problem with that because the word for me, corporate, is um, very businesslike. And 
a lot of businesses that you turn around and you look at are very deceptive, deceiving. They're not truthful and honest. I prefer communal or community. And the reason is because the word community comes from the word communing or abiding, togetherness, interweaving, family, friendship, which is what God desires for his children, that we come to him, that we commune with him, we abide with him, we stay with him. We don't hang out and use our cell phones and sit there while we're having this sit down with God and we're fiddling around playing games or something on the doggone techno device. Which unfortunately happens a lot today. And I, I see this and and this little gizmo, this electronic gizmo, it's it's a tool. It's meant to be a tool. And the knowledge of how to put this together. But then it's been twisted and turned and perverted. It's no longer a tool for a good purpose. It, it is still and can be, but it's also a tool that's been perverted and changed. And it's used to, as a derisive lever Oh my goodness gracious, I, I, I cannot share with you. I've shared a couple times and, and I cannot get, it's as if it's on the forefront of my mind. I mean, when I think about this and I immediately see this image, I was out to dinner and one of one of the, the rules that I had, and I tried to instill this to my grandchildren and my son who, I get what he's doing. He wants to be the head of the house and he wants to have the leadership and all that. And so he countermanded what I had told him, but I, you know, and I made it very pointed and clear that if I was taking the family out to dinner and I was, and I was going to be paying for dinner with us, which I had done, then if I told him there were no electronics at the table, there were no electronics at the table. Nobody took their cell phone out. No, 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 no. And they try to sneak it and I'd catch them and I'd reprimand them and all. It's just a separation thing. But I, what I saw was this mother and son. It was obvious that they were that. But as soon as they walked into the door of the restaurant and they were at the hostess station, both of them were on their electronic device. And when the hostess came up, they barely acknowledged her and she just saw that they weren't paying attention and just got their sort of silently got their attention, took them to a table and pointed to a table and, and was commuting with sign language because they weren't talking. And then they sat down and they ordered their meals and I watched this I mean, it wasn't staring at it, but I mean, it was pretty blatantly obvious. They were out kind of in the middle of the dining area and it was 
right in front of where I was sitting, but it, the, the point is that they were, she was sideways in her chair, not even facing her child. And he was hunched over his plate and had his, and then his elbows up on the table and had the electronics in there, was just staring at the screen, was barely eating. I mean, he would reach around every once in a while and take a bite of his food. And she was sitting sideways in the chair and she was buried in her electronics. They weren't talking to one another. They weren't engaged with one another. They weren't uh, having an interpersonal relationship. They weren't communing with one another. They weren't abiding with each other. They were separate apart and they were in this electronic device. I bring that up because this is exactly what I see happening all through our society on a daily basis is that the separation and the derisiveness that this thing drives between people. They don't pay attention to each other. They walk right into traffic and they don't ask directions or speak to one another rarely and hardly. And I heard something on one of my regular listening stations that speaks to this. And it, it, it hurts because in Hebrews 10, I'll flip over right quick. I didn't intend to go there, but I'm, I'm being led over there. So I'm going. In the book of Hebrews, Paul writes a letter to those folks. And he writes it in the in the book of Hebrews because they claim to be a lot of things, but he's writing to them and it's kind of a lengthy letter because they're acting completely contrary to what they're doing. He's trying to encourage them to stay up, focus on God, and stay focused on this. And um, I want to make sure I'm going to give you the right scripture. And I think I just gave you the wrong scripture. Sorry about that. Ah, it is actually in chapter, Hebrews chapter 10 and 24. This is a communing thing. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And it doesn't mean that you're poking and prodding with a sharp stick to provoke them. It means a provocation is, is a way of drawing attention and getting a person to do the right thing by provocation, provoking someone, you can provoke someone to anger, you can provoke a person to be sinful, you can provoke a person to do many things. Um, but one of the definitions for provocation is to uh, you can you can agitate to get them all upset, but 
The other is to stir, arouse, or call up. Make it desirable, provoke unto love and to good works. You can, and a lot of people will you understand the word to incite means to inciting a riot. It's where you hear it, but that's not the only indicator. You can incite people to do good things. If you have a really good corporate leader, business leader, a good manager, and he incites his employees to be really good and diligent at what they do and provide good customer service they can grow. And that's what he does. He stirs up, he stimulates that. Also means that you induce or bring about that love. Doesn't mean poking somebody with a sharp, sharp stick. But here's the important part not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So brothers and sisters, Paul's talking to the Hebrews and was even talking to them back in that day about that the day approaching. What day is he talking about? Talking about the day of the second coming of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes as a lion of the tribe of Judah and comes as he promised he would. And he did that thing. Brothers and sisters, you look around for me, having read the word and being in the word and the Holy Spirit walking and guiding as he does and providing me the opportunity that I can share with y'all. And there's some people that just look at this thing happening and they're really taking for granted the fact that they're even walking around. They just think it's that thing. And the word tells us that tomorrow is not promised. So rather than living the day as if it's just going to be automatically yours, how about we share the good news, the gospel of Jesus and have everyone have the opportunity to repent, to be saved, and to spend eternity in heaven with our heavenly father, pray, pray together. You can do it together. You can pray together as an individual, but what we really need to do is we need it to be in prayer. And it's spoken that, and the Holy Spirit has told me, <laughs> Uh, on more than one occasion that we really need to be doing this thing. And I need to exercise that more myself is praying and, and even here where I'm at, if I'm praying in agreement, an agreement with those things that need to be done, 
and we raise that prayer. We raise that prayer to God. And my readings earlier this morning are call that very thing that we spend time with our Father. We abide with Him. And we stay attached to that vine so that we have that growth. Those giant, some of these giant pumpkins are, are incredible. Yeah, I'm jumping back to them again. But some of them, where they had these contests, these pumpkins are 300 and some pounds and more. I can't remember what the... But they grow that way because they stay attached to the vine. Now, granted that that those that are doing that for the great size that they are, they trim the others off. And sometimes if they stay attached to the vine, they start growing that way. It's because the other pumpkins have already been picked off for whatever purpose, you know, mom or grandma's going to bake pies or, you know, they're going to be used for their Halloween decoration or Thanksgiving table center pieces or what have you. So the nutrients are going to that one that stays attached. Our nutritional value comes from the word of God. Our growth comes from being in the word, his truth, his knowledge, his wisdom that comes in our guidebook, our roadmap, our instruction manual. It comes from there. It comes from talking to the Holy Spirit or speaking to the Holy Spirit, which is our guide. We were told when Jesus left and he was transfigured, we were told that the comforter would come. It was shared with us that the comforter would come and that Jesus needed to go. As he told him, he said, I, I go to prepare a place for you If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, however, since you're so caught up with my physicality and seeing me and being here and, and you're so caught up in that, he said, there will be another that will come and I will go to my father and we're gonna send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he also instructed the disciples when they were all excited and they were getting ready to go do what they were going to do. And Jesus gave them the great, what many call the great commission is to go out and what is a great commission? Some people don't even know what that is, but they talk about it. The great commission is not just to go out and evangelize and to go out and share the word and give testimony when you go out and you are on the Great Commission, you go and you share the word, you pray over people, you baptize people, you heal people, and you make disciples. 
That's what the Great Commission is about. You have a whole lot of things that are on. And a lot of people think that it's just going out and doing some specific things. Well, there is that. But collectively, you've got to put it all together. And that's the Great Commission that we're given. But here is the important part that a lot of people really miss over is that instead of going off really excited and all anxious and let's go do this, which is a good thing to be, and I am excited when it happens. I get excited when I get to sit here and I, I get to do this sharing of the word. I am a conduit that God uses to be able to get this out to individuals. And he allows me this because he knows that I have he knows that I'm in his word. He knows that I'm going to be truthful. He knows that I like to study his book and 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 I have mentors that bring this and that I'm going to be factual and truthful and that it's not going to be all about me. And I am blessed by being able to share his truth, knowledge, and wisdom. We need to be a community, we need to commune with one another, we need to abide with God, and we need to take time to be with him. And remember what we're told in the word, we're told that he is the truth. And he came to set us free. And as the Holy Spirit controls, guides, and talks to us, we're growing. And part of staying attached to the vine is to stay in the Word, to study the Word, to pray often. Keeping yourself attached by a... I'm going to use a couple other analogies. But if you have a child that's attached to the mother, by what? An umbilical cord. And that umbilical cord, because the child is not able to feed the way that others do when they're growing and out, doesn't even have teeth and still in development, but attached to mom by the umbilical cord and the nutrients and the vitamins and the things that she and and the things that she takes in are provided to the baby through that. And unfortunately, sadly, there are those that ingest so much poison that that child is affected. But that umbilical cord keeps them attached. So if we stay attached to our Lord our God and we stay attached by our spiritual umbilical cord or our spiritual vine, and we keep ourselves attached by staying in our guidebook, our roadmap, our instruction man. We stay in the word, we stay and we talk to God, we pray to God, and we be with God, we take time to be with him. Then we grow, and when we grow into that thing that he created us to be, Yes, he gave us a free will choice, so don't, don't go twisting what I'm saying. 
Oh, see, he made us this way. No, he gave us a free will choice. And as is taught in the word, we have a choice. We can either do it that way or you can not do it that way. He designed us to have a... I'm gonna jump over here right quick. Why do you think you have certain feelings and sensations when you are involved in places and you go and and I'm finding myself to be more and more homesick. And I've shared this with you before. This is not our home. So when you talk about the book of Revelation, things like that, and you have individuals that's, oh, I'm going to fight for this, I'm going to this and that. Oh, there's so doom and gloom. This, uh, what is doom and gloom about wanting to go home to the kingdom of heaven? I'd much rather be in the kingdom of heaven than in this broken down, disheveled, place that we by our free will choice have made it to be I want to stay attached I want to stay with God I want to pray with God I want to be there I want to be with my loved ones but we're talking about the baby being attached to mom with the umbilical cord have you ever seen any of some of these things that they they show these astronauts things that they share to make sure that everybody's paying attention to what's going on and they have these individuals that are attached to a capsule and when they were doing the big space station thing out there which is interesting that we don't hear anything more about these things that are going on but you have individuals that are out there flying around allegedly in this great big space laboratory and they've been they go up there and they live for three, four, five, six months in space. And they go out and they do things out in space. They collect information and gather that. But they, when they go outside, they stay attached by what's called a tether line. Because if they weren't and they didn't stay holding on to the space station, there is no gravitational pull around that thing that would keep the astronaut or the person outside the station from flying out into space. And they're not within the gravitational pull of the Earth. And even if they were, uh, that person would fall in and just start going faster and faster and faster. And they wouldn't survive in a spacesuit. And they wouldn't survive out there. I mean, they would go out and they would last as long as their air supply kept them, but they would go and just start drifting. Is that not what happens when you cut the tether line from God? Our center point, our focus, our very survival and you choose to cut that tether line and not have anything else to do with God and your nutritional value doesn't come in anymore because you've cut that loose and cut it free and going out and doing everything on your own because you know so much better Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 
lean not into your own understanding. The Sanhedrin did this very thing with Jesus. They always tried to lean into what they thought that they knew. But it was actually proven a number of times, not only by Jesus, but I mean, they used to do it to themselves. This is what they would call, a, we used to have a term many years ago when I was younger and, and in the service. Actually, that's where I learned it. And when you were getting ready to be involved in some grandiose effort or something that was going to go on, I've heard the, heard the term used, yeah, don't go out there and step all over yourself, which would mean don't go out and do something so silly that you would cause something really bad to happen. And this is what the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin would do constantly. They were relying on what they knew and understand, but they didn't know and understand many things. But they had decided that they were going to call Jesus a sorcerer, a blasphemer, a conjurer, a liar, and a deceiver, and many things that he would do. And they always, an interesting thing is they always did it when they were out in public. Well, not always, but a lot of times they would go out where they had this great public audience and they'd get really loud about it. They get really loud. Interesting thing about liars, I believe I've shared this with you before, is that when people lie, they really get loud. They get repetitious and they get loud. Of course, there are, when they get somebody that finally is drawn into an argument with them and they go back and forth, it generally gets louder and louder and louder. And then pretty soon, you can't even tell what's being said because it's so loud and obnoxious. But something that I learned a long time ago, and this is what Jesus was talking about, and this is what God was trying to show to Elisha when he was on the side of the mountain. And he took him back into the cave in that still small voice. And my earthly father was really good at this. On occasion, you would hear his booming voice and why it was so attention getting and so um, would really get you to turn around is because he didn't do it very often at all even if he was in a disagreement with someone his age or about, he still wouldn't get loud. He would stay in that even tone. I mean, you could tell that he was being emphatic about something, but he wasn't yelling about it. My father was always telling the truth. He was a truthful man. And the individuals that were lying or being deceptive, they were always louder. They always were loud and repetitious. The Sanhedrin were the very same way, especially when they got out in public and they encountered Jesus, whether they were hunting him down in this particular instance or not, but they would encounter him or they'd find him because they would find a crowd gathered. And they didn't like that. That's one of the things that really bothered him is that Jesus would gather a crowd and people wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted healing and being touched, 
But see, the Pharisees didn't like him because then people weren't paying attention to them. And they always went around and they had all these, they had all this clothing on so people knew who they were. I mean, they'd go out in a crowd. You could see, you could see them if you were, if you were uh, uh, flying over and you had a drone and you were looking down, you'd pick out a Pharisee in a, in a massive crowd and it wouldn't take long at all because they were wearing their garb. And so it was all about attention. So they'd get out in their garb and they'd come out and they'd be confrontational with Jesus, always loud about it and being accusatory and pointing their fingers. But, you know, rather than if they were truthful in anything, they'd just come up and they'd talk to them, but they weren't. It's always about drawing the attention. But the more that we spend time with God and we spend time in truth, knowledge and wisdom that God provides, all you have to do is ask him and he will. And as Isaiah tells us, be still and know that I am Lord thy God. David talks about, there's a couple scriptures that he writes in his poems and his songs, talking about just being in the stillness of God. You go back to Deuteronomy, talks about waiting on God. Isaiah, waiting on God. Jeremiah, waiting on God. Job, Job. Be still and listen. You know, there's a saying that it's an old saying is, oh, be still my beating heart. You know, when you get anxious and you get all caught in there, that's more of a <laughs> kind of a corny line when you, you meet a beautiful woman, you know, and you look and you trying to be poetically impressive and oh be still my beating heart wow you're so well anyway you get the picture but when you get with God you get around God you you're in the Holy Spirit and you you're in prayer this is how you should be anxious to be with God our Father anxious to be in his word anxious to be in the spirit communing. And I've shared with you and, and you've heard me because I'm, <laughs> I, I can't help it because I can feel God when he puts his arms around me. But God tells us, and he's talking in my reading this morning, his desire for his communing with us and being with us. And he desires us to be closer to him and wants us to be his children and wants us to want to be his children. And God reminds us that he can do his best work when we sit in the stillness of his presence and just focus on being with him. 
sacrificing that first moment on waking and being still and talking to God before the start of the day and talk to God through the course of the day. And we just let the Holy Spirit come. And sometimes I'll be going through the course of the day and even really thinking about much of anything. And then the spirit infects my thought process. And then I just, I start talking to God. And brothers and sisters, that's all prayer is, is talking to our heavenly father. You don't have to throw yourself down, prostrate on the, prostrate out on the floor. You don't have to throw yourself out of bed and jump on your knees. There's times where we should do that thing. But God likes us to talk to him and just do so through the course of the day. And a lot of times I'm walking around the house and I find myself talking to God. It was said that when John got older and people that encountered him, that he would be seen talking. Nobody there, but he was talking. And who are you, by the way? Who are you to judge anyone else out there on the street that is talking to someone or something that's not there? And who are you to judge that they're just a wacko, whack job, nutcase, whatever terminology you throw that direction? Who are you to judge them for that because you don't see what they see? Let me share this with you, straight up and straight out and truthful. There are things that are on this plane of existence that move in and out of our spectrum of view and things that you shouldn't see. Things that God protects you from. And because these individuals have been walking outside of that purview for such a long time, that they have become involved and they can see things. God, for whatever purpose he had, allowed me to see into that, for lack of a better description, that spectral realm, because it can be either full of blessing or it can be a very frightening place because in that realm, in that spiritual realm that is on that other existence that is happening around us all the time, and he protects us from that because it's a scary place because you have your angelic hosts, protectors that are with you all the time and they're fighting because the devil and his minions are after your mind and your soul. They want to tear that away from you and keep you from God. They want to keep you from that thing that God has offered to us freely by his grace and his mercy. That's where salvation comes in. That's given free because he loves us so much. It isn't by anything that you did. Oh, I earned my salvation. Yeah, I did this and I did that. No, it doesn't doesn't work that way. Not at all. And you keep acting that way, you're gonna be and become a really good Pharisee. 
because you're going to think that you're so much better than everybody else. And then when you have to have that hard lesson taught, oh, that spanking's going to hurt. Trust me. Nothing that we do can earn us any place at all in the line for salvation. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come because the devil wants your mind. And I've shared with you, I've given you this example. It doesn't matter what your intellectual prowess may be. The weakest point of attack is your mind. Indeed it is. I've given you example, numerous examples you had Sir Isaac Newton. You had Albert Einstein. You had Thomas Alba Edison. Abraham Lincoln. Ulysses S. Grant, John F. Kennedy. Dwight. David Eisenhower. You have these, I bring them up because they were very, very heavy thinkers and they projected themselves out, but they also had this thing called second guessing that kept going on. Jonathan Nash, Professor Jonathan Nash. If you've ever seen the film Beautiful Mind or if not, it would be a worth of view. The man was a genius and yet he was all these thought processes. And this happens when you see the individuals on the street. You don't know that they're not talking to whatever. It could be an angel. It could be some of the minions that come and haunt them. And they're not nice about what they do. The minions that come and the demons that come, they're not nice. They're very aggressive. They're mean and nasty. And sometimes you see these individuals swinging and how do you know that they're not fending off an attack by some of these? So instead of making fun of them, how about you throw a prayer out there? We need to do much more of that. And we need to remember that we are told that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we don't need to be getting caught up in what's coming on ahead because the Holy Spirit is guiding us and will take us. If you're in contact with God and the Holy Spirit and you're in prayer, then you get up there, remember, a detour is still part of the road. You have to have faith that the detour is the road. And you may hit a turning point, turn off that direction, or you may hit a turning point that is a complete turnabout. Guiding to repentance and that thing that we should be doing
in John 8, we're told about the truth. John 8's a really good chapter. You gotta just get into John 8 and read it, the whole thing, period. Just the whole thing. It's a good read. But John 8.32 reminds us of exactly what God wants us to know and hear. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8.32. And I shared with you, it's not loud, and you know that it's truth, and you can just abide in that. And when I say that, you can, you're not stirred up and agitated. You're just like, you can sit back and you think about it and you relax. If you notice that the lies and deception and liars have to keep telling more lies to cover up the lie they've already told. And sometimes they get so caught up in their lies that they forget what they told anybody. On the other side of the city and they tell somebody there and then they walk around the other side and they meet them again and they forgot the lie that they told them the first time. So they make up another lie to cover up and then the person, and that's how they get caught sometimes. And then they get loud and obnoxious. So what are you saying? You're calling me a liar? Well, yeah, because you are. But if you tell the truth, then you don't need to worry about things like that. And here's the thing. And Jesus said unto the Jews which believe on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's powerful. Just by itself right there, that's powerful. And... The Holy Spirit to guide us and Paul reminds us when he writes in his letters that the actions of the Holy Spirit and God in us Jesus Emmanuel Christ Jesus Savior Redeemer Emmanuel God in us God with us and in Philippians 2.13 Paul writes in his letter for it is God who works in you to well and to act according to his good purpose. Prayerfully getting the Holy Spirit to guide you and lean not into your own understanding. And it keeps you tied like that great pumpkin. Attached. In John 14, 6, Jesus reminds us what was said in John 8. And he's talking to his disciples and they're getting kind of agitated because things are happening and, and he's getting ready to leave. And there's certain disciples that are so upset. And he's telling them and talking to them about his getting prepared to leave. 
but they didn't fully understand. So I'm going to go back to uh, John 14, 4, actually. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Reminding them as he tried to do with the Pharisees. And they didn't get it. But our way to God which we can do now, just like he shared with the woman at the well, because Jesus was crucified for our sake. He opened up that way that we can go to God all the time. Whereas before, according to the old way and the old law, and this is what the Pharisees really liked to hold on to and why they were so upset, because that was being taken away from them. They just didn't know it. And this is one of the things that they didn't like was happening with all the people. Is there... They were provoked because Jesus was taking away what they had. And that was their control. And they're telling people what they wanted them to do. Stealing from the people, actually. And they were going into the Holy of Holies. And they were coming back and telling the people what they said God told them to tell them. And whether or not it was true. And I'm not saying that, that they were all bad can't say that because there's pastors that are all not perverted today. They're some tell the truth. But there are many that are twisted and perverted and they lie. They don't know what they're talking about. And they're contemptible, just like the individual that stood up there in front of his congregation trying to explain that the Bible is, is a total contradiction. God is contradictory. And then you have the other pervert who is telling us that John 3.16 is being taught all wrong all the time and that he's going to rewrite it and then, of course, you have that pompous, overly dressed individual who stands up in front of his, his folks declaring himself to be God incarnate and saying that he's going to rewrite the Bible to be more relevant with this day and age. And I declare to you now, brothers and sisters, that this Bible that is so old and has been around from the beginning and the word of God the word was God, the word was with God, and the word is God, and the word came from God. And it is the truth, the way, and the life. And was manifest to walk in this plane of existence. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers daily. Stay attached. Talk to God. Pray to God. Commune with God. Abide with God. Be still and know the hachim. Is your Lord thy God. Hashim is there. Sit with him for a while. It's a good place to be.